God organizes his youth camps where you get to work with folks who are so like-minded and like-hearted, and I so appreciate Micah, you guys in the band. Man, love you. Hey, I want to encourage you guys. Hey, can we do this right now? I feel like, come here for a second, brother. Can we, I want us to pray for Micah and for the band because, um, I, look, guys, I get to work with all kinds of artists, quote-unquote, personalities, and very uh, few times do I get to run into guys. They're, they're out there. Please don't hear me saying, like, over-embellishing anything. There are some good, solid, godly men and women who are on the road who are, have an itinerant ministry or music ministry that are just amazing. But running into somebody like you, brother, that has just such an amazing heart, a depth of Scripture, a desire for God's will to be done for his glory. And, and Micah's getting ready to go on a tour for, is it 10 weeks? 10-week tour with uh, Big Daddy Weave and We Are Messengers. And, I mean, it's just going to be like boom, 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 city after city after city. And have you guys enjoyed Micah Tyler and the Micah Tyler Band? Yeah. So while there are people that are gifted out there, there are very few that I have found, probably one other, that has a gift like you have, Micah, to be able to minister and not just lead us in songs, but lead us in worship. And I'm very grateful for that. So here's, I want us to do something tonight. You know, the scriptures, the New Testament teach us to partner with people um, that God would use us, that we could partner with them as they're reaching other peoples. That's what, that's what Paul would say throughout two-thirds in the New Testament, that when you partnered with him in prayer, you were helping reach people. And, and I want to ask you guys, number one, to make a commitment to pray for Micah over the, uh, from now on out, but specifically once this tour begins until just to the end of the year, that God would use him to minister to students and adults through the radio and through night after night on the stage. Would you guys make that commitment to, to pray? Amen? Amen? Amen. So here's what I want to do. I want, to, um, I want us to just stretch our hand toward Micah right now. It's just kind of a, all of us can't lay our hands on him, otherwise we'd squash him in the floor. But I want us to do this. I want us to pray for him right now because, man, God's got a special anointing on you, dude. And I just, I'm just, I'm beside myself to the fact to, to be able to hear this story. And so... I want you guys, as I pray, to pray specifically that God would continue to anoint Micah in songwriting and in open doors to proclaim a message that our world desperately needs to hear. That he could, through, his, through songwriting, present the gospel and that people would be saved and that through songwriting and, and through, through music ministry and through his connections that he has, that, that the saved could be sustained. So can we pray that tonight? Father, I love you, and I thank you for giving me a wonderful brother in the ministry. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for letting mine and Micah's paths cross and letting him be here to be the worship leader for this camp. And Father, I thank you for he and the band, for all the guys, Lord Jesus, and their heart that is geared toward you, Lord, Lord Father. God, I ask now that your hand would be so strong on Micah that Father, out, out of the depths of his soul, would pour, pull, pour forth creativity matched with biblical wisdom to produce, Lord Jesus, songs that inspire us to praise you. I ask, Lord Jesus, that there'd never be a time that he would be without, 
And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would open up doors, dear Father, for him, for a place to be able to announce how amazing you are all over this world. I pray for his wife and for his children, that you would protect and encourage them, that, dear Heavenly Father, they could understand the ministry, dear Father, and which I believe they do, that you've called Micah to, and them together as a family. And I pray, Lord, that you would open up doors that they could travel with him, and that it would be a blessing so that, Father, in no way are they separated or, Lord Jesus, feel like one or the other is, is lagging behind. And, Lord, I pray that as he goes out on this next tour that you would so anoint him that even, Lord Jesus, at the singing of the words that you've given him, that, Father, students would repent of sins. Father, I pray that as you speak and sing through him that believers would be inspired to believe you for more. And Father, I pray that broken-hearted people and trouble-minded people would find peace and satisfaction through singing to you the words that you've given Micah to sing. So I ask and I pray your mighty hand be upon him. Lord, as was said of your prophet, prophets, let a double portion of your spirit be on him. And I look, Lord Jesus, for the good reward. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Love you, man. Cool. Hey, can we pull up just a few more lights? Is that okay tonight? Maybe one, one more strand of house lights. Y'all ready to get to business tonight? Amen. Have you had a good week, guys? Wow. It's been awesome. I want to tell you as we begin tonight that last night I stood on the balcony of the little place where I was staying so I could get a bird's eye view of the Kaleidogeddon. And I have never in 25 years of ministry seen such a beautiful masterpiece of chaos, of youthful chaos. That, yes, can we just celebrate our leaders right now? Man, that's what I'm talking about. Woo! You guys rocked it. Oh, my. And, man, I'm going to tell you, I stepped back into my room one for just a moment, and I heard the fireworks go off, and I was like, Man, that sounds too much like the Hunger Games. I was waiting for somebody to announce somebody's name. <laughs> Red Bud. <laughs> no, Lord, don't take that church. <laughs> you know, I was getting scared. But, whoa, that was just absolutely, absolutely crazy. And so to have Kalata Geddon last night and then Tadashi tonight, dude, I'm, I'm literally about out of my mind right now. And then, man... Brett's been, they're going to give you the prelude, I think, tomorrow morning for two, Camp 2018. Woo, boy, I hope you already paid your deposits. I hope you're already lined up to be here because it's going to be an amazing year next year. So, and so now I'm, I'm ready to preach. Y'all ready? You ready to roll? So let's, let's do this. Father, speak to our hearts, change our lives. Lord, if there's still a student here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, would, they, would you draw them to you? And right now, Lord Jesus, I want to follow your leadership. Student, why resist him anymore? You do not need me to preach tonight. He is already speaking to you. If you're here tonight and you say, Brian, I have put Jesus off and I have pushed him off and I have pushed him off. But as Micah prayed over me as I sang your love never fails something else happened inside of me 
And I cannot put Jesus off anymore. I need his love and his sacrifice to be everything I need for salvation. And if you're here tonight, right now at this very moment, and you say, Brian, I need to give my life to Jesus. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to borrow my words right now. Don't pray them to me. I can't save you. Jesus is listening. He's already, this is the spot he has ordained for you to surrender your life to him. I'm going to ask nobody to move in this room, please. Right now is the spot that he has ordained. Right now is the night he has chosen to save you. Would you surrender to him by simply saying, Jesus, I am a sinner. My sins separate me from you. And I am in danger of spending an eternity away from you. But I believe there is hope in the power of your name and the power of what you did on the cross. And I need that hope in my life. I turn from my sins and in faith I turn to you. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Rescue me. I will follow you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, if you're a student here and you just gave your life to Christ or you're an adult and you're in this room and you just gave your life to Christ, here's what I want to ask you to do when I count to three. Would you just raise your hand? Lord, I trust you for this. I believe you have rescued students from sin, death, hell, and the grave right now. Now I pray that you'd give them boldness, Lord Jesus, to make that public. You just gave your life to Christ as sincerely as you possibly could be. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Wow. Those of you who have your hands raised, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Come on. Don't fight it. Don't punk out. Don't resist it. You're not the only one who raised your hand. So if you just gave your life to Christ, I want you to stand right now. Even, even if you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed to receive Christ, I want, you to, I, I want you to stand right now. Now, those of you who are standing, I want you to open up your eyes and look at me. Matter of fact, I want you to just come on right here. Come down front right here. Come on. Come on right now. One, two, three, four, five, six of you. Come on. There are others that raised your hand. Come on. Any, anybody else need to be with this group right here? You just gave your life to Christ. There were a couple of you that raised your hand, but you didn't stand up. You said, Brian, why do I have to stand up? Because it's a, Jesus calls you publicly, guys. There's no hiding out. There's no secret, no secret Christians. He calls you publicly. He says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. That's serious. And this is a safe place, so there's no reason to be bashful. There's no reason to... No reason to to hide, hide out. Anybody else need to be with this group right here? 
Come on. All of you who are standing here, you're standing here because you just trusted Christ to forgive you of your sins and save you. Is that why you're, is that why you're here? Then praise God. You are brand new in Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Nothing can take you out of his hands. And his love toward you is as rich as it is today as it will be until the day he calls you home. Okay? The idea now is that you've got to learn how to live in this newness. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If any person is in Jesus, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So now we've got to figure out how to live faithfully for him. Okay? We do that by Bible study. We do that by being a part of his church. We do that by seeking to live what we learn through the scripture every single day and I, I, I need some uh, I need some group leaders if I can have about mm, eight girls ten girls ten female group leaders and about seven guy leaders that would help me right now if you guys you, you got them okay I want to pray for you and then I'm gonna just send you right down this aisle right here okay what's your name little brother Bryce Bryce I'm gonna ask you to be my line leader in just a second to lead them out okay I want you to I want you to just take just to take your hands like we did the other night like we modeled, and this is just kind of the symbol of just like take whatever I got, Lord. Okay, I surrender, and I want you to take just ten seconds in your own words, and I want you to tell Jesus, thank you for loving you and saving you from your sins, and I'm gonna pray for you. Okay, ready, set, go. Father in heaven, I love you, and I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your power, and I thank you for saving students. I pray for these, Lord Jesus, that are here tonight, that you would let old things go as you have sealed them now with the power of your Holy Spirit, that a new mind and a new heart and a new body, the new passions to live for you would come alive. And Lord Jesus, that they would never, ever turn back to the old things, but they would follow you. And they would have a desire to read your word and to serve your church and to honor you with all of their life. So, Lord Jesus, out of this group, out of these 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 students, would you raise up a mighty strong army, influential group of Christians for your glory. And I ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Help them understand your truth in Jesus' name. And all God's students said... Amen. Bryce, would you lead this group right here? You guys just follow Bryce. Just follow Bryce, okay? How many of you guys have ever been to Disney World? Anybody ever been to Disney World? About seven years ago, 
my wife and I, along with my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, gave our children an opportunity for Christmas to go to Disney World. Brixton at the time was the only child, was the only one of our children that could read, and so they woke up that Christmas morning. It was like a, a scavenger hunt on Christmas morning where he led his little brothers around the house reading details about where to go next to figure out this unfolding Christmas present to the point that it ended up in our kitchen our, our kitchen floor to where their suitcases were there. They had to unzip them. And when they unzipped them, there was these T-shirts that said, I'm going to see Mickey Mouse at Disney World. And then in, just like the commercials on TV, there were about a five-second delay, and then they turned into wild banshees and ran all throughout the house. It was absolutely crazy. We loaded them up in the car, and we uh, immediately took off Christmas morning to go to Orlando, Florida to go to Disney World. I have absolutely, positively no idea what in the world my wife and I were thinking. I, I had no idea that Christmas time, the De November and December holiday season, is the busiest time of the year at Disney World. And you guys, you got to understand something, how we roll with four kids, yo. We got what we, we had what, at the time, what we called the limo stroller. Not because it would look like a limo, it could just handle four kids at one time, or at least three. And so it was this big, long, stretched out stroller where I could put Briven in the front. He's the youngest boy. I'm going to show a picture of him up there. I could put him in the front, and then I could tell Xavier to sit in the back, and he was facing toward me. So Briven's the little buddy in the back. Xavier's on the far right hand, and I just want to celebrate because I'm so excited. Xavier, his team won today the Top Gun uh, World Series. Yes, they came in first place. Bam! Yeah, baby! That's what I'm talking about. And then Briven right ahead of him, he won his regional uh, baseball tournament today as well. So super excited. That's the other reason why I'm excited to preach today. Oh, yes. Yeah. So anyway, Xavier sits right here, where, right in front of where the, the handlebar for the stroller is. And I looked at Bricks and I said, look, Bricks, I want you to stand on the handrails. We're going to break all of OSHA laws. You're going to hold on to the side of it and do not touch your brothers. See, because at our house, a fist fight or a prayer meeting could happen at any time unintentionally, okay? Any of y'all know what I'm talking about like that? Like we love one another, but them boys, they can, they can get in a fist fight in a hurry. I mean, we're just normal people, okay? Y'all with me? All right. Brixton, am I telling the truth? Where you at, dog? Am I telling the truth? Yeah, yeah, he's waving your hands. No, we're not too excited about that, but we're just telling the truth. All right, and then I had George Rain on a papoose on me. Now, look at me. I don't need nothing. I'm big enough as it is, okay? And we're trying to push through all these people. Now, let me just tell you what. It's difficult to have a Christ-like concern for people who don't have a concern for you. I've just got to be honest with you. When they're all pushing up on you and knocking your babies over, I'm like, the Lord loves you, but I'll slap you, okay? I mean, that's just straight up how, how it rolls. You hurt one of my babies, okay? So anyway, we, uh, we, we tried to go to, to Magic Kingdom one morning. And by 9 a.m. one morning, Magic Kingdom, which has a 100,000-person cap, by 9 a.m., they had reached their cap, which pushed everybody to other parks. So we decided that we would go to, to Hollywood Studios that day. And so we were rolling through Hollywood Studios. We've seen Jake and the Pirates. We've, we've been finding Nemo. We've been doing all the fun stuff like that. And all of a sudden, we walk around to the left side of Hollywood Studios, and I see the best, most amazing ride ever, Empire Strikes Back. Right. Do I have any Star Wars fans in the house? That's what I'm talking about. 
And I, we got in line, man. It was in the Ewok forest. I was like, whoa. They got a chicken walker. I mean, they got all kinds of stuff. They got a speed racer. They got all kinds of stuff. And while we're standing in line, all of a sudden, I hear the, the, the soundtrack of all soundtracks for Star Wars. Dun, 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 dun. Whose soundtrack is that? Darth Vader. And all of a sudden, these doors open up, and here comes all these stormtroopers, and then here comes all these little Padawans-looking dudes, okay, these little young Jedis. Then here comes Darth Sith, and now all of a sudden, the man of the hour, the Tower of Power himself, no doubt, Darth Vader walks out. And y'all got to understand, I'm an extrovert, so if I'm thinking, I'm talking. If I'm talking, I'm thinking. If I ain't talking, I ain't thinking, okay? You with me? Now, all of a sudden, I'm standing in line, and I went, what's that? And there was a woman way up in the line that said, that's the Jedi experience. And I said, what's that? She said, you can sign your kids up, and they can fight Darth Vader. I said, where? She said, over there. See you. He gone. Dude, I rolled out. I walked up to the podium. I said, ma'am, I have three little boys and a baby girl. My baby girl's too young, but my boys need to fight Darth Vader. This is something I've always wanted to do all my life. <laughs> See, y'all, I'm, I'm an old school Star Wars fan. Like, I'm, I, like we, we only knew there was one back in the day. That's when, we found, that's when we found Luke Skywalker, okay, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, dude, I, I was just crazy for that stuff. She said, sir, I understand, but we don't have any more slots available today. I said, what about tomorrow, which was Thursday? She said, I don't have any available for tomorrow, but there is an opening on Friday. Friday was our last day in the park. I was like, what in the world? She says, but you got to get here early because it'll fill up very quickly. Y'all, I walked all the way back into the line not knowing what in the world I was going to do. I was like Buzz Lightyear, man, on, on Toy Story. I was like, uh, uh, I had no idea. I made my way back to my family. I looked at my wife, Angie, and I said, honey, what are we doing Friday? She said, by the look on your face, it doesn't matter what we're doing. I said, you are an amazing woman. <laughs> she said, what's up? I said, honey, my boys have got to fight. Darth Vader. She said, okay, what do we need to do? I said, Friday morning's the only opening, and, and that's the last day of the park. She said, that's fine. We've seen all we want to see. Let's, let's make it happen. Thursday night, we put our kids to bed. We showered them. We put our kids to bed in their clothes that they would wear the next day, including their tennis shoes. <laughs> Friday morning rolled around at 5.05. Warm washcloth right in the face. Bye-yeah. They came up out of the bed like a zombie. <gasps> like this. When they came up out of the bed, we gave them a Pop-Tart and chocolate milk, said head to the door, and they all walked to the door. We walked out to where the shuttle was. See, we were staying on the, uh, on the, the site, so we got magic hours, which allow you to get into the parks one hour before, before they open. We waited for almost 45 minutes for the shuttle to get there. We were out there freezing. All of us huddled up together. We jumped on the shuttle. It took us another about 20 minutes to get to Hollywood Studios. When we got there, y'all, people were already lining up. And I started getting the pregame jitters. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Friday night, you know, with a right pregame. You don't know if you're going to throw up or blow somebody up. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what am I going to do? So I hurry up. I get everybody off the, off the shuttle. I, I unfold the stroller. I take it over to my wife. 
I take little Georgia Rain off me. I give her a kiss. I hand her to my wife. I said, honey, do you have our passes? She said, yes, I do. She handed me my passes. She looked at me and she said, do your thing, baby, and then gave me a kiss. I said, you are a woman of God. <laughs> I turned around to my three boys. I said, who's the fastest at that time? Brixton said, I am Da. My kids call me Da. I said, look, I want your hand in my back pocket just like this. Do not let go. Do you understand? Yes, sir, Da. Then I picked up Briven over here, and I picked up, and I picked up Xavier over here, and then I picked up Briven. And I did what ladies can do, but what they do on their hips, I wedged those kids in. I ain't got no hips. I got some love handles, but I ain't got no hips. Y'all what, what I'm saying? It's amazing. A woman walk around Walmart all day long like this with a kid on her hip. I try to take my kids from like the grocery store out of the truck. My biceps are about to explode. Y'all, any, any adult men know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I wedged them dudes in, man. I flayed those four passes out like I was playing Texas Hold'em. I saw a break in line. I jumped in that little segment of line. The security guard said, you're good to go. Homeboy, I took off like a full out Usain Bolt sprint. Dragging Brixton all the way with me. What now, Bricks? What now? Brixton holding on for dear life. Y'all, by the time I get to the main thoroughfare of Hollywood Studios, I'm making so much noise because I'm out of breath. There's a woman in front of me with a stroller going that I scared her. She went <laughs> like that and got out of the way. We jumped over curbs. We bounced off of trash cans. I got right in front of the podium. I dropped my kids. The lady walks out. I said, is there any room left? On the list, she said, you're the first one. I went, score! Yes! Yes! To this day, if you were to watch my boys fight, and they, they, my boys didn't look like Padawans. They looked like little Harry Potters when they walked out there, man. It was crazy. To this day, if you watch that video, if you watch that video, you can hear me crying in the background, <laughs> y'all. I ain't gonna lie about it. I'm crying. I never got to do this as a kid. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just tore up from the flow up. Let me just tell you. Oh, I'm tore up. Now, what's the deal? See, this for me is the opportunity of a lifetime. I don't know when we'll ever get this chance again. And because I have such a great love for my boys and I had the physical capacity and the resources to make it happen, I could do for them what nobody else could do for them. I got them to the opportunity of a lifetime. You see, the reason why I tell you this story, students, is this, is that there is an opportunity that many of you in this room have had, but it's not just the opportunity of a lifetime, it's the opportunity for eternity. How many of you tonight would say, Brian, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and personal Savior? Raise your hand. Just take a look around at all the students that are in here that say they are born-again Christians. That, you can put your hands down, is the opportunity of a lifetime. And not only just a lifetime here, but a lifetime for eternity. You see, guys, the Bible knows that there are certain people that God has put in your path that the only reason they're in your path is so that you can do for them what I did for my boys except in a different venue. God has ordained that there be that, that your ultimate goal become helping other students and adults have the same experience of, a, of eternity that you've had by meeting Jesus as your personal Savior. You see, guys, what I'm getting at tonight is this. Is if you're saved, raise your hand if you, you would say, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm saved. Come on, raise it. Raise it high. 
Take a look around. Here's the teaching point tonight. The big idea for tonight, if you want to take notes. Saved students seek other students. Saved people seek people. Saved students seek other students to help them know who Jesus is. You see, many of you are trying to blend in with the world, and Jesus didn't die on the cross to help you blend in. He died on the cross and rose from the dead to make you distinct, to make you a standout. Not to be obnoxious, not to be a punk, not to be, not to be just your typical teenager, but that you would be such a distinct disciple that you would compel others to become disciples as well. And what I mean by the word disciple is what I think the Bible means, and that's a lifelong follower of Jesus. Not a follower of Jesus until football season starts. Not a follower of Jesus until I'm on the first string offense. Not a follower of Jesus until I got a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Not a follower of Jesus until I get the new iPhone. Not a follower of Jesus until the new Black Ops uh, video game comes out. Not a follower of Jesus until my youth, pa uh, youth pastor makes me upset. That no matter what circumstance, no matter what emotion, or no matter what cultural trend you're going through, you will be a follower of Jesus. You with me? And guys, that's the ultimate reason why you are born again. Not only so you can go to heaven, but so that God can specifically use you to help others get to him. There's a passage of scripture I want us to look at tonight that I, 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 it just blows my mind. Lord, I'm going to ask you to help me do this quickly, but I want to look at it, and I want to encourage you to become one of these students, that if you're a saved student, that you begin to seek other students so that they could understand the amazing power of Jesus. See, if you've let Jesus, if you've allowed, and, and, and not just allow, because sometimes Jesus don't, ain't about allowing, <laughs> he, he knows how to collide with you. If you collided with Jesus and you've been forgiven of your sins and you've had the ability to come down out of that condemned tree and repent of your sins and last night, guys, it literally took two trash cans to load up all of the labels that were, that were laid down here last night. Man, I just celebrate that. I just celebrate that. Amen. You can celebrate. Yeah, Amen. Here's the deal. If you've been able to lay down your labels, guys, surely there are guys and girls that are next to you in school that live down the road from you that maybe are in the same carpool group as you. They go to the same whatever you go to that many of them might have the same labels. And if you met the real label maker, wouldn't you want to give somebody else the same opportunity? You see, we do it with music. We do it with movies. It simply starts with a conversation. Hey, man, have you heard this song? Hey, have you seen that movie? Hey, have you heard, seen that commercial? Hey, have you seen that thing on YouTube? And then immediately we say it goes what? Viral. But when we get to Jesus, many of us who would say, I know him as my personal savior, we got like old school car Brian Burgess cartoons. We get like Porgy Pig. We can't talk. Y'all with me? Which should be the farthest thing from our mind. We ought to be the ones that want to talk the most. Man, if he forgave me of being this or he helped me tear my label off of being that, man, I want to let people know that if he could do this for me, he can do it for you too. And there's a passage, actually two-thirds of the New Testament is written by a guy by the name of Paul 
who Jesus collided with him, and Jesus not only collided with him, but Jesus changed his name. His name used to be Saul. Now it's Paul, and then Jesus chose Paul to be one of the main missionaries that would go out into the world, and he would write two-thirds of the New Testament. And I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture that he spoke about, that he wrote, and that I believe captures what we want to try to do tonight. See, students who collided with Jesus want to help others collide with Jesus before it's too late. Because there's going to come a day when you're going to collide with him, and you're going to bow a knee whether you want to or not. The only problem is it's going to be too late. Y'all digging me? I often say it like this. People say, Brian, do you believe everybody's going to go to heaven? I say, absolutely. But the question is, how long are you going to stay when you get there? Hello? I'm not preaching universalism. Don't anybody mis misunderstand what I'm saying. Everyone's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The issue is, is how long are you going to stay there when you get there? And because of what Jesus did for me in his sinless life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection, I'm going to spend eternity there. When I get to the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to know him as daddy and not judge. Y'all digging me? And I want to help other students experience that. I'll never forget when I was speaking on a college campus one time, this girl walked up to me and she said, you're judgmental. I said, awesome, we're even. Right? She's judgmental on me. See, Jesus is specific about how you get there. And Paul writes these words to us. Let's take a look tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and following. Paul said these words. He says, for Christ, read it out with me, student. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. When, when Paul is talking about Christ's love compels us. Students, he's talking about one thing. Go forward with me, brother. He's talking about the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ, if you don't hear anything else I got to say, hear this, is the greatest display of love that has ever been given to the world. It is the greatest display of love. And Paul, when he says, when he talks about God's love or Christ's love, he has one thing in mind. It's not, oh, come here, let me hug you. It's not a patty cake, high five love. It is a love that is so rich and so real and so powerful that it took a blameless lamb to die on a cross so that you and I could be changed. Now, what's so crazy about this, guys, is that the cross in the ancient world was the equivalent of the electric chair or death by lethal injection in our world today. Are you with me? It wasn't a piece of jewelry that you wore around like you see people hand down crosses or buy their friends or their children, their grandchildren a cross. Huh? That'd be the equivalent to like watching somebody walking into Walmart and seeing the cashier in front of you and she's got this nice gold necklace and on the hanging on the gold necklace is this syringe with like drops of something coming off of it. And you're like, what is that? She goes, oh, that's the syringe they use for lethal injection for, her, for uh, criminals. At that point, I'm like, mm, uh, I'm gone, <laughs> right? It's weird. Why? Because it means death. See, in the ancient world, the cross was the last possible means of death given to a deserving criminal. But when it came to saving you and me from our sins, it was the first choice God used to display how amazing his love is for us and what it really takes to change us from our sins. And Paul, a guy who hated Christianity, he persecuted Christianity, Christians. On his way 
He, when he met Jesus, he was on his way to persecute Christians. And Jesus showed up and smacked him off his donkey, onto his donkey, to the point to where Paul's left blind. And all he can say is, what would you have me do, Lord? And so now Paul writes to us in the New Testament, and he says, the love of Christ compels me. He says, the love that I saw displayed on the cross has so rocked me that I'm compelled by it. You ever been compelled by something? Can I tell you what I'm compelled by? Hot chocolate chip cookies. Anybody, anybody understand that? It's, the struggle's real, y'all. I can do so, so good on a diet, and I'm like doing a D now for one of my friends or from some youth pastor, and they're like, hey, you want to go visit some students? I'm like, score, yeah, let's go, bro. Man, I might be sitting in the front seat of his vehicle sipping on a protein shake. And about that time we get up to the door, and I knock on that door, and he didn't tell me that the first house we were going to was the lady who had, has like multiple gifts of hospitality. Like when, when hospitality was poured out from heaven, it was all dumped on her for that church. And as soon as that door opens up, I smell the aroma of hot chocolate chip cookies. And I melt, y'all. I mean, it's over. It's a game changer. Y'all have flipped out if that had landed, wouldn't you? That would have been like the bottle flip of all, right? I'm compelled by it. Like, I can't even go in the house if I'm going to stick to my diet. Why? Because they talk to me. They're like, Brian, how are we all? You know, it's like a scene off of Lion King or something. I'm like, oh, I mean, I don't got to lift that. It's crazy. Paul said that he grew to the place in his walk with God that what compelled him was what Jesus did for him on the cross because it is the most beautiful display of love. See, students, when you see a cross, whether it's on the roadside commemorating someone's accidental death or whether it's around someone's neck, uh, neck on a necklace like the cashier at Walmart or whether it's on top of a sanctuary used as a piece of architecture, the cross screams one message. When there was nothing lovely about you, he chose to love you. When you were his enemy, he chose to love you. And Paul says, that compels me. My question for you tonight is this. Does the cross of Jesus compel you? Does it drive you? Does it ignite passion in you? Does it change you? Does it, it, does it become the center focus of your life? You see, guys, Paul had this cross in mind, and this is what the cross did for him. Notice as we go forward in the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, he says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. In other words, what Paul is saying is, is that we're convinced that Jesus died and he died for all. So that here's the deal. If anybody can be saved, it's only through Jesus. It's not through good works. It's not through just believing he's a prophet. It's not just trying harder. It's not going to church. It's not just simply uh, 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 trying to be a good boy or girl raised in South Texas. That if there's any way for you to be saved, it's Jesus sealed the deal. So look nowhere else. That's the reason why Jesus in John 14 says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And Paul says now, because he's compelled by the love of Christ, that those that Jesus died for and rose from the dead now have an obligation. Y'all with me tonight? 
to no longer live for yourselves, but to live for him who died for you. So if you're here tonight and you say, Brian, I, I know Jesus as my personal Savior. Raise your hand one more time. Come on, raise it and raise it high. Now look around. Now look at your neighbor and say these words. You cannot, you cannot live, live for yourself. For you you are, to are to live for Jesus. Now put your hand down. Amen. Come on. Now that's nice to say that here, but what does that look like at home? That means when you go home, students, you are to be compelled by the love of Christ. You know how I handle this? If you follow me on Instagram, some of you have seen it. I know Lee's seen this. From time to time, guys, I do what I, what I have to do to help me be compelled by the love of Christ. I wake up in the morning, I go take a shower, I pray, I do what I got to do, but before I leave the house, I take my hand, I take my pen, I click my pen to the writing phase because I'm not allergic to ink, and I draw in the palm of my hand a cross, and I reapply it as the day goes by. Why? Because if there's anything good to say about me, it's this cross. If there, this is the greatest symbol of love. This lets me know I'm loved even though I was once God's enemy. If there's any hope for me, it's this cross. If there's any joy for me, it's this cross. If there's any acceptance for me, it's this cross. See, he was abandoned so I could be accepted. He was broke so I could be blessed. He was hurt so I could be helped. This is all I need, and I draw this on a day-to-day -day basis, and it compels me. But it's also the reminder that I was bought with a price. It cost God to love me. And I can no longer live myself, live for myself, just simply living out my own passions. Isn't that right, Joey? In my own passions, doing what I want to do. So that means that I got to be compelled by the love of Christ at home with my mom and my daddy. That means that I need to be compelled by the love of Christ by how I treat my brother or my sister. Come on. Hello? Do you guys realize that some of you right now who have little brothers and sisters are setting a great example of what a true blood sinner looks like? Oh, y'all thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? <laughs> you thought I was going to be nice and pleasant. See, some of your little brothers and sisters don't have to have the bad friend at school. They just get to live in the house with you. And I say that not to shame you. I say that to say if you raise your hand and Jesus is your Savior and Lord, then if your little brother and sister ought to have the greatest living example of a Christian right in front of them. But here's the deal. When you're sitting there going, you're a brat. You get on my nerves. You make me sick. Get out of my room. You better not touch my stuff. You do. I'll choke you. Your parents wrote me emails before I got here. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. You with me? Wonder why a buddy of mine like Micah could lead us in a song. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. And him in the middle of the, of the song be able to say, you know, for some of you, that's a stretch for you to believe. Maybe because the people that I should have been able to see model that never modeled it for me. Could you imagine you being the one to lead your little brother or sister to Christ? 
Could you imagine you being the one leading your daddy to Christ because he actually saw more than just two weeks after camp that there was a real change in you? You can no longer live for yourself, students. You must then begin to look and see, hey, what platforms are in my life that I need to ask God to stretch me that I can use for the glory of Jesus? If you're taking notes tonight, I want you to think about it this way as we go forward in the... In the go forward. One more slide, bro. You see, for us to collide with the world, we got to trust Jesus enough to let go of, of yourself and to obey him. And here's the joy. It's risky, but it's right. See, students, no longer. I got any baseball players in the house? Got any baseball players in the house? Baseball players who, I got any softball players in the house? Here's the deal. You're not a Christian softball player. I don't know why we use the word Christian as an adjective. Nowhere in the New Testament is it ever used as an adjective. It's a noun. You're a Christian who plays softball. You're a Christian who plays baseball. You're a Christian who plays volleyball. You're a Christian who wrestles. You're a Christian who plays football. You're a Christian who plays basketball. Why? No matter what jersey you put on, there's a name that's written on your heart, and that's your identity. So that when the basketball team goes out or the football team goes out and they act in a fool, you still under the control of Jesus Christ because you can no longer live for yourselves, but you live for him. And then when you go to college and your elbow flops out on you and you got to have Tommy John surgery, your shoulder's gone, your knee's gone, and now you lost your scholarship and you come back to your youth pastor and you go, I don't know what I'm going to do. I hope your youth pastor says, do you remember when we were at camp and Brian Burgess told you that your identity was not in the fact you could dunk? Your identity is not in the fact that you can bench press 500 pounds. Your identity is in this, the cross of Jesus Christ. But God's worked out a platform now that you can be compelled by something bigger than yourself. Y'all with me? My preaching tonight? Let me tell you a story. I got to do this quick. I love reading stories about people who've been compelled by the love of Christ. Way, way back, there was a missionary by the name of John Patton. Check out old John Patton. John Patton was Phil Robertson before Duck Dynasty was ever thought about. <laughs> Fear the beard's what I'm talking about. John Patton, like you, got saved when he was a young man. And as he grew in his relationship with Jesus, he felt God calling him to go to a, go to a, be a missionary at a set of islands in the, new, in the South Pacific. One island specifically, which was called Benawatu. A group of islands that were inhabited by cannibals. 16 years earlier, from him deciding he felt God leading him there, the first two missionaries of Williams and Harris that were dropped off on the island and before the boat could turn around, the guys who were left on the boat watched Williams and Harris be clubbed to death and eaten on the shores of the beach of Vanuatu. John Patton stood up in church and he said, I believe God's calling me to go to Vanuatu. And there was a man by the name of Mr. Dixon who lived there or who went to church there. And he stood up and said, John, you can't go there. You'll be eaten by cannibals. And this is what John Patton said. John said, Mr. Dixon... I can tell by your, your own prospect of your body, you soon are to be laid in the ground there to be eaten by worms. So I must confess to you that whether I live or die, whether I'm eaten by cannibals or I'm eaten by worms, I want to live or die serving and honoring Jesus Christ. For in the great day, my body will look as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. 
That's a dude who was compelled by something bigger than himself. The first year he went to, the first month he was in Vanuatu, his wife gave birth, his newborn son died. In the first year that he was in Vanuatu, his new wife, who he and her had just lost their brand new baby boy, she died. Everyone said, come home, John, come home. John stayed 14 years, and at the end of 14 years, all 44 inhabitants of Vanuatu turned from cannibalism and gave their life to Christ because one dude was compelled by something bigger than himself. You can read these stories, guys. You just got to choose to read different stories. What are you compelled by? For the sake of time, bro, let's go, let's go forward to the text. I'll save that story for in the morning. Go, go forward to 2 Corinthians. See, here's the deal, guys. You got to get to the place to where you can trust Jesus enough to let go. And this is what Paul says earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. He says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. He says, since I know what it is to collide with Jesus, since I know what it is to be forgiven of my sins, since I know what it is to be loved so richly by an amazing Savior, I have one goal. I want to persuade, to convince, to woo, to draw people to him. Is that your goal? How do we do that? Let me give you three things quickly on how to persuade people to Jesus. You see, to walk into this world and help this world understand how amazing he is, you, you are most effective sharing Jesus when you are, number one, real. When you're real. See, many churches have evangelism strategies the only thing they don't have is an urgency to fulfill that strategy. And they spend so much time on their strategy, they just simply forget to be real individuals who wake up in the morning, who have a house and a room to clean, who have bills to pay, who have a job or a school to go give themselves completely to and to do their best for a bigger goal. See, guys, when I talk to adults, I tell them like this. Nobody at your job expects you to be there except to, change the, to, except to chase the almighty dollar. But Jesus saved you so that in your job you could go and show people what it looks like to chase the almighty father. See, some of you are going to school and your friends are just like you were until this camp, a bunch of class clowns. And you're sitting all in the back with them, chilling like this, disrespectful to your teacher. What would happen if you get out of the back and you would beat your ADD and you would sit right in the front? And when they ask you, why are you sitting in the front? Say, look, dude, anytime I go to a bonfire, I don't stand back as far as I can. I get as close as I can and I try to throw stuff in the fire to make it what bigger because I want the light and the warmth from it. And so... I'm doing this for the glory of God. I need to pay attention to my teacher. Could you imagine being the one student in your class that there's such a change in that your teacher stops you in the hallway and says, um, excuse me, are you a different student? You say, no, it's still me. Look, social security number, everything's the same. Locker combination, same, stay the same. Just one thing. I got a new identity, and you need to see that identity to just simply be real. Secondly, guys, when you're real, you got to be consistent. 
See, many of you have never been consistent with Jesus long enough for someone to see that there's a difference. That there's a difference. In the neighborhood in which we live in, I don't know if you have this, but this is an amazing restaurant. They have holy chicken. It's called Chick-fil-A. I don't ever have to go to Chick-fil-A worried it's going to taste like KFC. I don't ever have to go to Chick-fil-A worried if it's going to taste like McDonald's. Why? Because they are authentic and they are consistent with their recipes and people line up every day to eat their food. Shh, except Sundays. Thank you. See, God's put you around students that he's given you the power to persuade, but you've never been consistent because you've been compelled by everything else. You've been compelled by, wonder what they're going to think about me. Wonder what they're going to say about me. What, what if we were compelled by something bigger? What would they say about Jesus if they knew him the way I knew him? If they knew how good it was to come lay down my label and to know that's not me anymore. See, when you get to the place where you're compelled by something bigger, you're not worried about what they think because you have a Savior that died for you. And baby, that's all the affirmation you need. Amen? And finally, students, you got to believe the message. See, if you're not compelled by Jesus, you're never going to spend any time in his word. But when you start spending time in his word, it's like dynamite. I told y'all the other night I hated reading. Reading was to me like Nyquilis to the nighttime sniffling sneezer. It had just knocked me out. But when I started reading this book, this love letter, this playbook, and I could begin to hear God's mind and his heart for my life, settled my persuasion to where that's all I want and it's enough I remember when I was in high school I would sit in Miss Lockridge's class as my language arts teacher and you know language arts books were always big y'all got those big old language arts books I had a small little New Testament I'd put down in the middle of that book like I was paying attention in class I know it's so bad but I would read my Bible when class would get born, and I would look over at my buddy, and I'd be like, hey, look at that. This is so good. And I, even some of my buddies were like, Burgess, I ain't into that. Yo, I'm like, I know you ain't into it, but if you ever got into it, you'd be into it too. <laughs> Baby, this is like Skittles, boy. When you eat one, you got to eat the whole bag. I'm talking about tasting a different kind of rainbow right here, bro. Why? Because I'm compelled by it. It stirred my passions. Because I believe the message. And see, when you're real and you're consistent, y'all with me right here? When you're real and you're consistent, it's an easy transfer to other people to believe the message. That you are a sinner. But there's a Savior who loved you more than he hated your sin. And he took your place on the cross. I'm inspired by a story of a group of young people back at the turn of the century who were called one-way missionaries. They were called one-way missionaries because the places that they felt God calling them to go, the only way they were coming back was when they died. 
And so instead of packing all their stuff in suitcases, help me, brother, they packed all their stuff in coffins. One of those was a guy by the name of A.W. Milne. A.W. Milne was called to go to a, a different set of islands than John Patton was. And A.W. Milne packed all his stuff in a coffin and waved goodbye to his family as the ship set out for the South Pacific. And when he got to the New Habidres Islands, every missionary there had been eaten by cannibals as well. And after 34 years of ministry on that island, when he died, the inhabitants on that island wrote this on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. God used him so mightily that the people of the island who had killed every other missionary said, when he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. See, students, I'm so compelled by Jesus. I, I just got a vision in my head for you. Could you imagine on the last day of, your, of school when you hand out your yearbook to go around and be signed? Could you imagine that you were so consistent with Jesus that when you got your yearbook back, somebody wrote in there and said, I've never seen a real Christian before until I met you. And when I met you, there was a lot of darkness in my life. But because of how I saw Jesus in your life, now all there is is light. Thank you for being a real, consistent, passionate Christian. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who loved you and died for you and rose again. If this is the life you want to live, students, then you got to start somewhere. And I'm over my time tonight. I probably have been every night. I appreciate Brett and the entire team giving me freedom to preach. You guys have been absolutely amazing. But I want to ask you to make a commitment tonight. You with me? Don't move. Stop moving. As the band makes their way up, I want to ask you if you want to honor Jesus, if you want to take the next step and begin like Paul to persuade people, then I want to ask you a question. You ready? You ready? Here's the question. Who is in your life that you care the most about, but you don't know if they know Jesus or not? Matter of fact, I want you to close your eyes, and I want to ask this question to you one more time. And when I ask you this question, I want you to get a mental picture of the person who would answer this question, who you could answer this question with. 
Who is in your life that you care the most about, but you're not sure if they know Jesus as their Savior? I'm going to ask it one more time. Who's in your life that you care the most about, but you're not sure if they know Jesus as their personal Savior? Once you get that person's face in your mind, I want you to open your eyes and look at me. Got them? Maybe it's a brother, sister, mama, daddy. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an enemy. Now I want to give you a challenge to take the next step. You ready? If I'm compelled by his love and in my desire is to persuade people, then I want to give you an opportunity to start. Before the sun sets tomorrow, I'm challenging you to reach out to that person and I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you blame it on me. I'm gonna be the bad guy, okay? This is how I want you to let it roll. I want you to just simply say, hey, I was at this youth camp this week and they, they got some crazy weird bald-headed dude to speak. In the last full night of camp, he asked this question, and here's the question. Who's in your life that you care the most about, but you're not sure if they know Jesus or not? And as soon as he asked that question, I thought about you. And then I was aware of a very real thought. How in the world could I say that I love you and I care so much about you and I've never shared with you the most important person in my life? So would you just give me five minutes to tell you what Jesus has done for me? Not that I'm any better than you, but I want to tell you how amazing he is and what he's done for me. Let me set it up one more time. Before the sun sets tomorrow, you'd call this person up. And you'd say, hey, I was at this camp and this big old bald-headed dude was speaking from North Carolina with a weird accent. And the last night of camp, he asked a question that rocked me. He asked this question, who's in your life that you care the most about, but you're not sure if they know Jesus as their Savior or not? And as soon as he asked it, I thought about you. And then I thought, how in the world could I say this person is so important to me, but I've never taken the moment to ask them if they know my Jesus? And this is not that I'm any better than you, but would you just give me five minutes to tell you what Jesus has done for me? Their response is not up to you. But what is up to you is telling them about the love that compels you. If you're here tonight and you say, Brian, I take that challenge, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Don't stand because other people are standing. Stand because you are compelled by Jesus Christ to take this challenge. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 5, 5, better not to make a commitment with God than to make one and break it. 
So if you're not serious about it, I'm giving you freedom right now to sit back down. Here's what I want to do. I want us to pray for that person tonight. And then we're going to close out in worship. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And when we get to a place in this prayer, I want you to call that person's name out loud. If it's Papa, I'll say Papa. Okay? Lord Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for blessing that students would be willing to take a commitment now to be compelled by something bigger than themselves. That they'd be willing to let go of old ways and to take hold of what you've called them to. And so, Lord, now we commit ourselves to you. And we ask for boldness and for grace and truth to reach out to those who don't know you as their Lord and personal Savior. Jesus, I pray for and name that person right now. I ask that you would grant them repentance, allow them to come to their senses, and acknowledge the truth, and escape the trap of the devil. Let them give their lives to you. Use me. Make me bold. Make me loving. Help me to convey your truth. And you draw them to you. In Jesus' name. Students, there's one more thing, and I, man, I, I know I'm way over my time. There's a stirring in my heart tonight that God's calling some of you to minister. Ethan Bean, Ethan Bean, where are you at? Ethan Bean came up to me tonight. I've been wrestling this all day long. Ethan Bean came up to me tonight, and he said, Hey, Brian, you remember preaching at Journey Camp four years ago? I said, I do, but I don't remember Ethan Bean. Ethan Bean said, you gave a call to ministry, and I responded to that call, and I've been serving Jesus ever since in the path and pursuit of full-time ministry. Is that right? I'm not going to call for this tonight because I've told some very emotional stories. And I want to be careful about the emotion that's in the room. But if you're here tonight and you say, Brian, I believe God may be calling me to full-time ministry, vocational ministry. See, every Christian is called to ministry. But out of all the Christians, God chooses a remnant, a, a smaller group that is their ultimate goal, their daily purpose to win people to Jesus and equip them for more work in the ministry. And these are people who are willing to commit themselves to a life of holiness, to a life of knowing God through his word, to a life of practicality, to serve the church, to get training, and to do the work of an evangelist, regardless of what that looks like, whether it's a worship pastor, worship leader, whether it's an evangelist, whether it's a pastor, youth pastor, whatever it may be. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to, number one, prerequisite, you got to be a Christian. But if you're here and there is a strange, weird stirring inside of you, you say, I believe God may be calling me to full-time ministry. I want you to think about it and pray about it tonight. And tomorrow morning, I'll give you a chance to respond. 
you're not called, doesn't mean you're a second-class Christian. It just means God's got a different call for you. But for some of us, he's called you to full-time ministry to where your goal is to make disciples and to equip those disciples for more ministry. And you do that rightly attached to the church, however that branches itself out. I believe God's calling some of you. You can talk to your youth pastor tonight in church group time. Tomorrow morning, I'll give you an opportunity to respond. Let it be a not just a head decision or a heart decision. Let it be a spirit-filled decision where willfully, I'd say, I'll surrender to that call. Worship the Lord.